We're looking at our five-word series, and we're continuing on with our second word. I'm, I'm wearing the suit I wore last week. This is the suit I marry people in. And if you change the shirt, it's the same suit I wear to bury people. Uh, I know. It's like, is that a coincidence or just, I don't know. Um, it's my funeral suit as well. And like I said last week, it is honestly surreal, the experiences I've I've had by being a pastor in the same church, it's you know, a great church like this over the years, transcendent moments, uh, baby dedications and, and uh, marriages and, and funerals, and, uh, baptisms, that it's, uh, I'm, I'm blessed. Funerals, sometimes funerals I'll participate in and people say, wow, that, that was a beautiful service or that was a beautiful sermon you gave. And I just say, well, you live a beautiful life, you get a beautiful sermon, you get a beautiful service. That's how it works. That's like, yeah, it's the way things are. And no, no lie, I love, love, love being part of a service where uh, somebody has passed and their relationship with their wife or their husband, 40 years, let's just say four decades of love. And and they were still looking at each other, you know, like brand new lovers, young lovers. They just were able to ex- exemplify all that marriage is supposed to be at great cost. Because when you love someone and you know that someone's going to have to pass first, you, you, you go out and you love that way. You, I just, you love recklessly and deeply and painfully. And to love that way is is one of the great adventures of what it means to be a human being. I can't express that as well as some poets. And so I brought a poet, poem to you from uh, a man at his graveside for his wife. He wrote this. Tis a fearful thing to love, to love what death can touch. A fearful thing to love, to hope, to dream, to be. Ah, and to lose. It's a thing for fools, this. It is a holy thing, love. For your life has lived in me. Your laugh once lifted me. Your word was gift to me. And to remember this brings painful joy. Tis a human thing, love. A holy thing, to love what death has touched. You have to choose to love that deeply, knowing that love will touch, uh, that death will touch it. And how does one experience this fullness of human experience? Well, maybe we, I would suggest we just consult what God's word says in the second chapter of his holy revelation to us, chapter two, in his explanation of who he is and how to live. It says this in chapter two, verse 24, this is the blueprint for marriage. It says, therefore, it shall a man break from his father and his mother, and he shall bond to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This passage is what's called a passage of primary reference because it will be used, this single sentence will be used all the way into eternity to define exactly what marriage is, what it's supposed to look like. And when we talk about our five words, we're looking at our second word, and today the word is bond. Pardon me, we have a very simple outline. What does bond mean and how do we bond? 
What does bond mean? It means to unite, it means to cleave, it means to glue, it means to weld. It means to like secure to each other in a way that's inseparable. If it's, if it's glued together like this and it's break somewhere, it won't break where it was bound. Uh, it, it is, it is um, here's a great example of it. It's, it's a weld point. If you know, here's a, like, if you know anything about this product, you know about JB Weld, that's what, that's the biblical definition of bond. JB Weld is, I think you should honestly have a license to have to use this. It, it's a crazy thing. It, it comes in two little tubes and the gray goo, it can't even hold paper together. The black glue, I don't know, it, it can't do much either. It, but when you mix these two together, there is literally a chemical reaction taking place and the gray goo isn't, it lost itself and the black goo is no more. And then it adheses itself to something. And I got to tell you, this is how it works. What, what, what J.B. Weld has joined together, no man can separate. It's it. It's done. It's one. That's, that's how it works. And my, my point is, in, in the marriage template here, in the blueprint, it says, uh, father and son, they're to, to leave, right? They're supposed to break away from their father and mother, and they're to bond with each other in a, like a J.B. Weld kind of way. It's a mysterious event that takes place. When vows are said, a sacrament takes place, according to some denominations, right? They, they say baptism and communion and, and marriage vows are sacramental because a spiritual chemical reaction is happening. And, and the husband in his identity and the wife in her identity are alternately, they are changed in this event by the power of the Holy Spirit and they become one. It's activated. Metaphysics enters the physical world and alters it. It's a sacred thing. It's, it's planned for a purpose. You're making a covenant with God and the purpose of the covenant with God is so that you could bond with one another in such a way that you'd be in like a, a safe and protected place so that you might become one in body and in soul and spirit. Bonding takes place in many different attributes and aspects, but certainly these three, when you're bound to one another, you are, you, it is in trust. You are vulnerable. Okay, you, you, at progressive levels, vulnerable, you are, here's the word, defenseless, weak, susceptible. You're exposed. There's no one on earth that you should show yourself this way to. There, there are no secrets in this kind of a marriage. Forgiveness, it's trust and forgiveness Forgiveness in marriage when bound to one another, you are going to forgive each other more than you're going to forgive anyone else on the planet. It is quantitatively different. And then sometimes you're going to forgive your mate in a qualitative way, in a deeper way than you'll have to forgive anyone else. The Bible says you should forgive 70 times seven. And it's like, sure, first year of marriage, got through those because it happens all the time. And in those acts of forgiveness, you're actually bonding to one another. You actually grow closer to each other. Love, trust, forgiveness, and love. And like the song says, this is no ordinary love. It is a reckless love at, at depths and scopes that 
you can't have in any other relationships. If you're loving each other, the harshest, the, the meanest, the most cutting truths that you will ever hear will come from your mate because they love you that much and can love you that much. Oswald Sander writes this about this kind of love. He says, if, if what we call love uh, doesn't take us beyond ourselves, then it's really not love. We have an I- the idea of love that is characterized as cautious or wise or sensible or shrewd, never taken to extremes. We've missed the whole meaning, the true meaning of love. This may describe affection and it can bring you a warm feeling, but it's not true love, not an accurate description of what real love is. This bonding that we're talking about, this, this, bond, this metaphysical, supernatural attaching to one another, how does that happen? How could a person enter into that kind of danger and afford that kind of risk? Where does a person find that kind of courage? <laughs> so that's where we're going to, how can we bond? How can we bond? As, as one author calls this bonding, this vulnerability, it's your, it's your unzipping your soul to another person. You cannot do that unless you can find safety from another source. You can't, you can't give the love that we're talking about to the person that you say you love. You can't give that kind of love or that kind of forgiveness unless you receive it from another source. And so the only way a person can really experience the bonding that the Bible talks about in break and then bond is when a person has set their safety and their security based entirely on the promises of God and, and, and his attributes and the power of the Holy Spirit. The only way you can, can do this is, is if you find your contentment, you rest in knowing that God knows you and you're at peace with his love for you. And that's the foundation that you build on. And it's from that that you're able to trust and forgive and for love. The key, the key to bonding in marriage is, is illustrated in, in, it's crude, but like God's love triangle. Just humor me on this. This is God's love triangle. And, and the idea here is, is that God's at the top, clearly, because he's God. And then there's the husband and the wife on each side. But for them to get closer together, if they, they can't pursue each other for love and acceptance and affirmation, that doesn't work. It kind of runs flat pretty quick. What they need to do is they need to both pursue intimacy with God. And as they work their way up in their becoming like Christ in all of life, guess what? They become closer to one another. That's where they become bound to one another. The closer they get to God, the closer they get to each other. And what's really great about kind of the, the, the picture here is that in a marriage relationship, not only is the husband working on his life becoming like Christ in all of life, but he's helping, coaching, cheerleading, disciplining his wife to become like Christ in all of life. And while she's working on her way up to become like Christ in all of life, her pursuit of knowing God, she's helping her husband encouraging and cheerleading and disciplining to become like Christ. And so the, like the means is participates in the bonding experience itself. 
Marriage bonding takes place when the process itself is two people in a covenant relationship becoming like Christ in all of life. You have to, the point is, you, it's not pursuing each other, it's pursuing God. Why do you have to pursue God first? Why is it absolutely essential and fundamental to a marriage relationship that you pursue God first and foremost? I can think of two simple reasons. One is that God is the source of all things good. God is the source of all things good. And when we talk about all things good, we're talking about trust and love and forgiveness. And you're going to need to be able to give levels of trust and love and forgiveness in, in a soul that it's broken and doesn't have those kinds of assets. David Wilcox, uh, he's a folk singer, uh, very insightful in his writing, says this about his relationship with his wife and his love for his wife. He's desperately trying to love her. He says, but I, he says, look, I cannot make you happy, even though my love is true, because there's a break in the cup that holds love inside of you. It keeps leaking out. And, and then he says, you, you can't make me happy, no matter how hard you try, because there's a break in the cup that holds love inside of me. And so what we're doing here is we just have empty for empty. And the only way we're going to be able to love each other, as he says, he says, we, we must trade empty for empty and go to the waterfall. And now this overflowing love that comes from God, that's the metaphor, this overflowing love for, of God and trust and forgiveness, now we can fill each other's cups. Larry Crabb in a book called Marriage Builder, he puts it this way. He says, I see so many marriages that are like two ticks on each other, just sucking the life out of each other. Instead, they should pursue getting their life requirements from a dog and then giving to each other. Which picture do you like better? Like a, a folk singer poet or a counselor that's, ah, I can't get out of my head. Point is, you have to go to another source for truth and love and forgiveness. The, the second reason that you have to pursue God, not your mate, is because that's where safety and healing comes from. Right? If you're going to be uh, trusting in vulnerable lay, ways, let me read it again, defenseless, susceptible, weak, unzipping your soul to someone else, especially when it's early on, boy, it's, it's like monkeys with machetes. You, you just hurt each other. You open yourself up and then someone stumbles on you or sometimes vindictively pounces. How do you recover from that? Only God can put that back together again. Only God can do that. When Melinda and I had been married about 10 years, uh, we, boy, we did what you needed to do to be healthy and happy in a marriage. We read at least one book a year, went to a marriage conference about every two years. And after 10 years, we like, we plateaued and it was mostly my fault. It, well, it was all my fault. Uh, and it was because I had, I had some, some secrets in my life that I was fearfully uh, ashamed of. And I was, you know, I literally made a vow to myself, no one will ever know these things. Well, it's telltale heart. It kind of gets found out and the heartbeat gets, keeps getting louder and this is where we were gonna be. And I actually said, this is it, baby. This is as far as I'm gonna go. I can't, I won't do this. We had a marriage counselor fly in to do one of our marriage conferences and he was over at our house uh, for dinner and we got to talk about that. And he just said, yeah, this secret where you can't trust your wife with, this is, 
This is rock bottom, and the root system for your marriage can't grow past this. You can't grow any deeper than your skeletons. And so, let me ask you, Matt, you've been married 10 years. What kind of person is Melinda? Can you trust her? Will she forgive you? Will you be safe? And Melinda was going to need to find forgiveness and love from another source, a waterfall. And I was going to be out there without a net. And I was going to have to trust God to save me if I'm broken. So he went home and that night told her everything. You know what I told her? I'm never going to tell you. Are you crazy? (laughs) You can ask Melinda and wild horses won't drag it out of her because she probably already forgot. But the, the point in that story is it's like, like we're both climbing. I had to become more like Christ in all of life and she was going to be the person to help me get to that next step because only she could do that. There's two steps in bonding like the Bible talks about. Two steps to bond to one another. That's what we're going to look at today. But before we look at the two steps to bond to one another, I need to remind you and review what we've studied already so that you can see how it all contributes to that, that storyline. You'll see how it logically makes sense. Okay, here's how, here's how you bond together. The first thing you need to remember is this, that is, it is the Holy Father, Yahweh God, has predestined you to become like Christ in all of life. God has predestined every believer to be conformed to the image of Christ. It is God's plan for your life to be a disciple, to obey all that all is commanded. Second, marriage is a means of becoming like Christ. We talked about that two weeks ago. Now, watch this. How do you become a disciple? How do you become holy? How do you become like Christ in all of life? How do you become mature, complete in all things? We have a formula here at Grace. It's, it's sloppy, but it's, it works. It's this, truth plus spirit plus relationships. Truth plus spirit plus relationships. Those are the three major elements that make you become like Christ, a disciple, holy, perfect, complete. What's the relationship? The mate, primarily. That the mate is the person that God has arranged before time that you chose to enter into your life to be that person that encourages, coaches, loves, teaches, disciplines you by bringing and reminding you of the truths of the Bible, the character and nature of God, and the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside you if you're a believer. The husband and the wife is the voice, the ears, the hands of Yahweh God as you remind and bring in the promises and the, and the remembrance of the Holy Spirit in your life. There's a beautiful quote about the power of this. This is the story of what Melinda did for me. It, it, was, it was rather beautiful. The way, the way he put her insecurities to sleep, the way he dove into her eyes and starved all the fears and then tasted all the dreams she kept coiled beneath her bones. That's the kind of love. So what are the two steps? Knowing that this is our destiny. Step number one, you have to name the part of your life that needs to become like Christ. You need to name the part of your life that needs to become like Christ. You cannot defeat what you refuse to face. You cannot defeat what you refuse to face. You have to be able to name the issue so that you can apply, 
you know, the promises of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't do that, it's like the other person, like, what can they do with that? I don't know. It's frustrating. As a matter of fact, here's a video that illustrates how that can look. Just call it out so that you can apply the promises of God, the attributes of God, and the power of the Spirit of God. That's how. You've got, you've got to name that. You've got to have an argument about that nail. Dan Allender's a, a famous writer in marriage and family. He says, a marriage is, the, is, is, is only as good as the couple's ability to argue, to talk about the nail. Okay. A husband and a wife who fail to have hard, painful conversations, they're not alive and they're not honest. You cannot defeat what you will not name or you will not admit to. Yogi Berra, the great philosopher, right, says, wherever you go, there you are. You can't run from the nail in your life, right? You're just like, I'm going to move to a small town, then it'll be different. No, because when you get there, you're there. And you have to say, I'm going to change jobs. That's the problem. And then you get a new job and you show up. I'll just get a new husband. Okay, right. So, yeah, there's that nail again. A lot of times we're having arguments not because of what we're arguing about, but what is fueling underneath that issue. And sometimes the real issue is we have built our significance and our security on a foundation that is not on the promises of God, nor on the power of the Holy Spirit. We have a bad foundation. And what we need, how to identify the nail is what is, what is what's energizing this anxiety? What's the force behind it? What are you allowing to define yourself that might be getting threatened that's other than the way the Bible is defining you? What kind of injury have you had in the past that you simply will not acknowledge so that God's spirit can't help cure that? That's, that's how you have to find the nail. If you're looking for, you wanna go on a nail hunt, sometimes you know, our, our couples check up, you can try that. It's by Prepare and Rich. It's an international marriage uh, ministry. We've been using it here for 35 years. Uh, you go to our website, drop down right, right on the front page. It'll send you there eight core kind of topics that couples have to maybe find where they might be having a conversation about how to apply the power of God's spirit and where to apply God's promises. There's some examples of, of nails or perfectionism. You probably had it when you were growing up and it shows up in being judgmental towards others and sometimes yourself, being self-righteous and condescending. It's not going away. It's gonna snag a lot of sweaters. Why not have the conversation? Being a people pleaser, boy. I mean, that goes all the way back. And it shows up by, sometimes by giving everybody else your best. Right. And the people that love you, they get what's left over. You do something for your child's class because you're the PTA mom or dad and you decorate the room and you make it flamboyant. Everybody's talking about it. no one's have ever done it this way before. This is amazing. But when you go home, your house is a wreck. Your kids don't even like you. And it's cereal again for dinner. Why? Why would you do that? Because you want people, strangers, and even people you don't like to like you. That's why. Sometimes, again, it's, it's, it's not the symptom, it's what's underneath it. Sometimes people give in to various vices and peer pressure because not because of the attraction of the vice itself, and generally vices are attractive, 
but it's because I want to belong. They're all doing it. I don't want to be alone. I have this fear of loneliness and I like approval of other people. That's, that's the nail. But you can't defeat what you refuse to face. And that's, that's the first step in this. You have to name the nail. You can get nails from various places. You can inherit nails. Like I didn't fall far from the tree. What tree? She's a chip off the old block. What block? Name the block. Sometimes we're given nail consequences of actions or events in our lives and we say never again, never ever again. Sometimes we inflict nails on ourselves because we're that way. That's the nature of man. So application one is built on step one on how to bond to one another. That's, it's this, name the nail. Name the part of your life that needs to become like Christ to your mate this week. So that, so that the two of you can become like Christ in all of life and apply the truth and the spirit in relationship. Here's part two. The husband and the wife apply the truth of God and the power of the spirit to change you from the inside out. Let me just review. We don't get closer to each other. We don't bond with each other by bonding to each other. We get closer to each other by getting closer to God. And as we are on this journey of bonding, becoming more like Christ in all of life, and we are like the spiritual coaches for each other, we're pulling each other up this pyramid together. That's when the bonding takes place. It is the means and the end. How do you, so because how do you, be, how do you become bonded? You, be, you are collectively becoming like Christ in all of life through truth, and spirit and relationship, and you are that relationship. It's, it's the power of the original word. Adam needed a helpmate. I need a helpmate suitable for him. Eve was custom designed for Adam because those were the, the because Eve was the one to say, Adam, no, 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 these are the promises of God. These are the attributes of God that you need to memorize. Those, I don't have problems with. You do, though, right? Here's how the power of the Spirit of God and his resurrection can change that within your soul. That's the roles we play to each other. Because, listen, God is not out to make you nice. He's out to make you new. It is God's ambition. It is our destiny, predestiny, not to be happy. He doesn't care. I, go, I know you came to the wrong church, didn't you? Right? <laughs> His ambition for you is to be holy. That's what he's working towards. You're going to love. You're going to love you when you're holy. Okay? Like in between, like you, you and I, we are like the extreme makeovers, soul edition. And he's going to make it right. Where he's going to make us like Christ in all of our life. And you know, there'll be some sledgehammering and stuff going on. But you, like you want your little two-bedroom chateau to be looking pretty, he's going to build an estate there. It's not, anyway. And how's he going to do that? He's going to use this relationship, your mate, using the power of the spirit and the truth of the word. So what needs to be done so we can bond? One, name the nail. You have to name the nail. And then two, with our helpmate, that person brings in the promises of God, the attributes of God, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's take the first one, promises of God. Here's how you can do this for your mate. Uh, 
kind of works around our house. Uh, people pleaser. Let's just pretend that I've had that in my life. Uh, from kindergarten, I think, is my first memory of that. I always just wanted people like me. Uh, just invite me to the party. I'm not going to come, but I just want to be invited to everything. And it changed, it makes, I've made very poor choices based on that. And so Melinda sees that that's, that's the nail and I don't know how to get over this and it's more powerful than I am. Apply Bible passes, rewrite the Bible, customizing it to my soul. Psalm 37, 73 looks like this. What does Matt have in heaven but you, O Lord? On earth, Matt has nothing he desires but you. Matt's flesh and Matt's heart may fail, but God is the strength of Matt's heart and Matt's portion forever. Baby, these things are true. Memorize that, commit to that until your mind believes that. And then you couldn't care less what other people think. Now you're performing to an audience of one. Apply the power of God's truth and his attributes to your mate's life. The second one is bringing in the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I just, just to remind you, God had Jesus ascend into heaven, left behind so he could send a helper, the Holy Spirit. And you know why he sent the Holy Spirit? Not to make you feel warm and fuzzy, okay? He sent the Spirit for the same reason he sent the Spirit to Egypt 3,500 years ago. This is what he does. He, he, he brings out, names, humiliates, and destroys false gods that are killing people. Still doing it today. He just needs access to the idols in your life. These, these nails become idols. And it's, it's like the nature of idols. It's the same pattern every time. It's like your ego could be your idol. Very easy for that to happen. And it serves you in the early days. Look at you. You became, you know, top of the ladder or you, you're competitive. You're winning because your ego and you're feeding that thing. Then you serve that idol and then the idol eats you. Happens every time. Next thing you know, you're sacrificing in ways that you can't afford. That's how idol worship works. And so the mate comes in and says, whoa, 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 whoa. We've got to get on this before all is lost. We've got to get the power of the Holy Spirit in here. We've named this thing. We're calling it an idol for what it is. And let's get him at work. How does the spirit work? We don't have a lot of time. But let me just kind of make it somewhat simple. Uh, you ever read the book, Alibaba and the 40 Thieves? Right? He would like he would go to the cave and he'd say the secret phrase and open up a secret door and all of these jewels were there. And the secret phrase was, come on, open sesame. Right, right. Everybody, you know that one. Holy Spirit's like that. Not so comical. He's waiting there with all the power of the resurrection. And the secret phrase is, thy will be done. I surrender all. No agenda, don't care, do whatever you want with my life. And he says, watch me work. And who can get me to do that in my life? I can think of one person. To touch that ring, thy will be done. Let me say another thing about the spirit in your marriage. I wish I'd have said this 30 years ago, 20 years ago, and 10 years ago. There's a war in your living room and you're having an argument and you think it's the two of you. There are demons in your arguments because the devil loves to divide what is sacred. It's a simple military plan, divide and conquer. 
And if I, if I would have acknowledged that earlier in our marriage, we would have had a lot shorter arguments. And here's what we do now. We say these two phrases all the time. The devil's in this argument. What? what, what? You're right. I can't remember what the topic was. The devil's in the argument. Let's stop arguing. And we just hug it out. Another one, another one uh, not so clever. Same team. <laughs> I know. Right? Same team. Oh, that's right. We absolutely love each other. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because the devil has separated us thinking we're, we're at odds with one another. Same team. The devil's in the argument. There's a spiritual war going on for your marriage. And the spirit of God wants to get in there. And every time you're about to say thy will be done, I surrender all. He's going to step in there and make things messy. Here's the two-step process. Name the nail. And you and your mate, you're working on each other's nails, working up closer and closer, becoming like Christ in all of life. You're applying the spirit of God and its power, the power of the word and the truths of God and the attributes of God. And as you grow to become more like Christ, holy, perfect, complete, lacking in nothing, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, all of that, you're working your way up. And that's where marriage harmony takes place. In our marriage, I'll tell you a little story. And, and uh, we, when we started having children, actually, I think we were doing it before that, but we kind of had this motto in the family, uh, never make a decision based on fear. We will not make fear-based decisions. And I got to tell you, when the kids were in elementary school, <laughs> it wasn't all that hard. We're going to let the kid ride the bus, you know. We're going to let him ride his bike to school. Woohoo! We're living on the edge. And then uh, when our oldest was going into junior high, I started, like, quivering. And I, it, like it was showing up in arguments. I was short all the time uh, on, on various topics. And I honestly didn't know what it was, what was making, uh, upsetting me. But what it came down to was I, I started realizing that when I went into junior high, that's when I lost, that's when I left the rails. And most of my life went to a completely different trajectory that I still have considerable amount of embarrassment and regrets about. And it started there. And I just thought, I, I am not going to let that happen to my child. And I'll do whatever it takes. And it didn't matter if we were talking about, you know, toast that might have been overcooked or, or somebody coming home late. It just went straight to 11. And we had an argument. And I didn't know. And then Melinda finally sat me down and said, what's going on? And I said, I'm afraid. And I'm going to start making decisions on where our kids go to school because I'm afraid of what they're going to go through is what I went through. And here's what she did. Here's what my helpmate said. She reminded me of the promise that we made. We don't make decisions based on fear. She brought up Bible passages about how much God loves our children more than we could ever hope to. And then she said, the spirit comes in and speaks through her and says, Matt, your parents didn't raise that child. We did. We're not sending you to school. We're sending our son to school and he's going to be just fine found the nail, pulled the nail, killed the nail. And guess what happened to us? We bonded like we had never done before. Your homework is to name the nail and then find ways to apply God's truth and God's Holy Spirit so that you can both on your journeys become like Christ in all of life. I wore my funeral suit because I think about 15 years ago, I did a funeral and it changed my life. Uh, it was, 
it was a beautiful funeral because if you live a beautiful life, you get a beautiful funeral. That's how it works. And this man was everything that I'm not. He, he was intelligent and humble. He was, he was gentle and courageous. He was, he was so quiet and, and loving in the way he treated his wife and his daughters. He was everything I ever wanted to be. And I think when he died, a large oak tree rattled. He was a person of consequence. And I had a tender moment with the widow, with his widow. I don't know, rem remember where it was in the funeral service before or after, but I just looked at her and said, you cannot remarry. And I'm like, oh, what did I just say? Oh, no. Um, and so I had to explain myself because I didn't want her to think, no, the Bible says you cannot remarry or for some other reason. I just said, so here's, look, your husband was exceptional. And I don't know if there's anyone in the world that can fill his shoes. And I, I just think it's your only marriage, but it, it was, I don't think you can remarry. And she was grateful for that careless saying and meant well and that sort of thing. But when I got in my car, before I even started, I said, oh, that's what I want. When, my, when I'm in this suit, but I'm in the box in this suit, I want someone to say to my wife, Melinda, you can't remarry. Because the way you guys bonded, the way you guys pursued becoming like Christ in all of life, the way he was your cheerleader and coach and encourager, and the way you fed him and loved him, <laughs> no, you can't remarry. I hope I'm that good of a husband someday. That's what bonding means. It means if you break, it's not where the world was. It means where God had brought you together in a supernatural way, it is forever. Let's pray that we can do what's necessary so that we might bond in the way that God would have us. Oh, Lord, that journey, oh, a dangerous path of loving what can be lost, loving what will be lost. Love. And Lord, we don't, walk to, <laughs> we don't walk it alone. We walk it with you. And I'd ask that you would help us have confidence in the safety and the security we have with you loving us so that we might be bold lovers and bold forgivers and bold trusters of our mate and loved ones. And if we're not even married, we could learn how to practice that before that. Or I'd ask that we could exemplify what it means to be married by leaving and now by bonding, by being so connected, we kind of sometimes lose ourselves in the us. And in that, we see you in ways we could only see you because we've risked so much to love. Love what, we, what could be lost. I'd ask that we'd be a whole church like that. I'd ask that we could love the world like that. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.